0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, I don't know that I told y'all this several weeks ago when I first came here, but I'm an old Miss fan. And um, I don't know if I told you that I go to all the home games. So when your game starts late in the afternoon and you're driving all night to get back, sometimes the sermon suffers. So I just want to let y'all know that. Um, Anyway, so we're beginning, we began three weeks ago this sermon series on the book of James, the letter of James. We believe that James was written by none other than the brother of Jesus. And uh, so today we're looking at James chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. Several years ago I heard a story of a pastor by the name of Max Cadenhead. He was at the time pastor of First Baptist Church in Naples, Florida. And he stood up one Sunday morning and he said, today uh, the message is going to be on the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to begin with an illustration. Now most of you in this room have heard your share of sermons, and so you know that a lot of preachers will begin their sermon with an illustration. But the illustration that this particular pastor used on that day was one that the people of that congregation would not soon forget. He began by asking them if they remembered when the Brown family had joined the church almost a year ago to the day. And most of the people that were gathered in worship that morning nodded in agreement. Because the Brown family was a very wealthy and powerful and influential family in the community. And securing their membership was a catch for the church and for the kingdom. And so everybody, it seemed, as the pastor was opening the illustration, remembered the day that the Brown family joined. But then the pastor went on to say, you may also remember that there was another young man that came forward to give his life to Christ on that day. And uh, people in the congregation just sort of stared blankly at him. It was as if they didn't remember this guy. Uh, They didn't remember him coming forward. And so he said to the congregation, he said, Yeah, when this guy came forward, I could almost immediately tell, just sort of by the way he was dressed, just sort of by the way that he was acting, that this was a deeply troubled man. And so when he came forward to give his life to Christ, uh, we sort of pulled him off to the side and we just began to talk to him about what was going on. Why Why was he here? What was prompting him to come? And, and so they counseled this man for several, several minutes as the closing hymn played. Well, the Brown family... They quickly assimilated them into the life of the church. They put them on committees. They helped them find Sunday schools. They helped them find places of leadership throughout the community. But they never followed up with that other guy. And they never saw him again. And so the pastor says, I was reminded of that young man this past week when I picked up the newspaper and I on the front page saw where he had killed an elderly woman and was going to jail. And then he said, I'm preaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan today. And I'm the example of the priest who saw a man in need. Who saw a man that I knew desperately sought my help. And all I did was cross to the other side of the road and kept walking. Now I know that's an overly dramatic story. I know that's not the kind of thing that happens every single day. And yet it is a powerful story of one person, one pastor's confession of showing favoritism. Here's a wealthy, powerful, influential family that came forward, and they bent over backwards to find a way to assimilate them into the life of the church and to to make them uh, in leadership. Uh, And then this other man they never bothered to follow up with. Why didn't he come back? What could we have done? How could we have helped? Well, I was thinking about that story because it does sort of powerfully describe what happens sometimes when we show favorites. And that seems to be the um, scripture, the theme of today's scripture in the book of James. Now, as we've talked about every week since we've been studying James, James and his brother didn't always see eye to eye. There's scriptural evidence that oftentimes when Jesus was teaching and preaching and healing that James... And the rest of his brothers and his family thought that Jesus was out of his mind. You know, they didn't understand what he was trying to do or why he was trying to do it or how he was trying to do it. And yet, over the course of time, particularly after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, it's as if James does begin to become more like his brother Jesus. So that by the time we have this letter, this book of James that's included in our New Testament scripture, as we're reading it, you begin to see all of these parallels between what James is saying in the letter and what Jesus, his big brother, often said and taught and lived when he was walking the earth. And so I hope that by now, since we've been doing this for three weeks, that as you hear the Scripture read on Sunday mornings or as you're reading it in your small groups throughout the week, that you're beginning, when you read this book of James, you're saying, now, where is evidence of that in Jesus' life, in Jesus' teachings, in Jesus' way that he lived out the faith? And so I tried to choose a few maybe that wouldn't come Uh, be obviously come to mind for you as it relates to the subject of favoritism there's a story in Acts chapter 10 about Peter who has this vision we're told that Peter goes up onto the roof to pray I don't know if this ever happens to you but sometimes when I get ready to sit down and have a time to pray my stomach starts growling and I get a little hungry And so that happened to Peter on this day, according to Acts chapter 10. He's up on the roof, and he's praying, and all of a sudden, Peter gets hungry. And so he sends somebody off to get him something to eat, and while that food is being prepared, we're told that Peter has this vision, that he kind of falls into this trance. And in this trance, in this vision, the heavens open up. And what looks like this big, gigantic sheet. I hope it wasn't a folded sheet because I don't like folding the fitted sheets. I I can't do that. Maybe y'all can help me sometime. But it's a big sheet that it looked like was being let down from its corners straight out of heaven. And on this big sheet were all these four-legged animals. And the scripture says that there were even some reptiles and even some birds. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this trance, as the sheet with all of these animals are there, Peter says that he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Peter, go kill and eat. And Peter just stood up to Jesus and said, Lord, I've never in my life eaten anything that is impure or unclean and I'm not about to start now. And Jesus responds by saying, don't you dare call anything that God has created impure or unclean. Now Peter was a grown up in the Jewish tradition and he'd been told that you how to have favorites when it comes to animals. There's some that you can eat and touch, but there's others that you can't eat and can't touch. But Jesus said, don't call anything that my God, my Father created unclean or impure. Now Peter really didn't understand the vision at first. He was trying to make sense of it. It wasn't until he met a man by the name of Cornelius that it began to become clear to him. Uh, Cornelius was this God-fearing man who had the respect of all the Jewish people, but he was a Gentile. He was not of the Jewish faith. He was considered an outsider. He wouldn't have been someone that Jewish people would typically have conversation with or engage in fellowship or relationship with. But when Peter met this man named Cornelius, he felt compelled to share with Cornelius about God not showing favoritism to anybody. And the reason why he felt compelled to share this story that God doesn't show favorites was because of the interpretation that he'd had of that trance or of that vision where he wasn't supposed to show favorite to those animals. And so he told Cornelius that God loves anybody who has the fear of God or respect or awe of God and who does what is right. And then Peter got to experience something that every preacher in the world would like to experience. You know, when I feel like God's laid something on my heart, that I feel like it's just directly from God, and I want to share it with y'all. I just wish when I shared it, like the heaven would open up, and the Holy Spirit would just come all over this place, and people would begin to praise God, and say, hallelujah, or speak in tongues, or something crazy. Now, it might scare me for a second. I I'm on live. you start speaking in tongues, I might get scared for a minute, but then I'm just going to praise God, because that was confirmation that what Peter had shared with Cornelius was exactly what God wanted him to share. And so it says that when Peter told Cornelius that there are no favorites, that the Holy Spirit came and people began to praise God and people began to speak in tongues. And Peter was so in awe of what just happened. He said, how can we not baptize Gentiles after the Holy Spirit's then showed up and showed out like the Holy Spirit did today? God shows no favorites. He heard that message first from Jesus. second one I want to share with you this morning is comes from Romans chapter two. Uh, Romans chapter two is about Paul writing to a group of people, and he's talking about judgment, and apparently he's writing to a group of people that have been guilty of judging people for doing some of the same things that they themselves are doing. Now, we would never do that, right? But in this particular story. Paul is speaking to a group of people and he's like, you're judging other people for doing things that I know you're doing yourself. And then Paul says, you know what? Every single one of us are going to be judged. Every single one of us, when we stand before God, will be held accountable for the way that we've lived our lives. Now, why did Paul share that with the people? Because Paul wanted us to know that God doesn't show favorites. God's not going to judge these people over here and not judge these people right here. God's not going to use one standard of judgment for these people here and not use another standard of judgment for people right here. God shows no uh, partiality. And so that's what James is talking about here. And he says that favoritism uh, flies in the face of the Judeo-Christian faith. James calls it the royal law. And James says that the royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. I hope you're thinking about big brother Jesus. Because one day big brother Jesus was teaching in the temple. And some wise guy just raised his hand and said, What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And then that wise guy raised his hand again and said, well, who's my neighbor? And basically, Jesus begins to tell the parable of the good Samaritan. And the whole point of that story is that everyone's your neighbor. Not just the people who look like you. Not just the people who act like you. Not just the people who pull for your favorite sports team. Not just the people who have your kind of education. Everybody is your neighbor. And that's what James is trying to show here. Anybody can play favorites. But what James is talking about here is an indiscriminate love. Love everybody. And that's tough. But when Jesus said it, He didn't just say it just to hear it. He said it because he truly wanted us to live it and to do it and what proves our love for God well if you believe the writer of 1 John 4:20 it says if you love God but then you hate your brother or sister and he's not talking about genetics here If you love God, but you hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. Now, I didn't say that. It's in here. It's in the book. If you claim that you love God, but you have hatred in your heart for someone else, you're a liar. Now, I know what you're saying. Tommy, there's no way I can love like that. I mean, that's Jesus. That's just somebody waxing poetic. That's what you preachers do. You get up here and you cast out all these idealist things. But I believe that's what God wants us to do. And to go back to last week's sermon, I, I believe that it can, we can live into that reality if we just seek to practice it Every single day. Now I know. Some people are easier to love than others. Can I get an amen on that? I know. I'm not discounting that. But when it was recorded in scripture. He didn't say. Love. uh, Everybody that's just like you. Love those that are easy to love. Anybody can do that. It's easy to love people when they love us. It's much harder to do what James and his big brother Jesus are teaching. It takes practice. Well, I grew up thinking I grew up in a I didn't grow up Methodist. I grew up in another denomination. And in the denomination that I grew up in You couldn't receive, you couldn't participate in the Lord's Supper as a child. Now, um, it was kind of weird to me because as an early age, we used to sing this song, this Gaither song. I don't think I've heard any Gaither songs yet, Mary, but we used to sing these Gaither songs in the church And so we would begin the worship service, and it would be, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm a part of the family, the family of God. And yet when it came time for communion... Tommy wasn't a part of nobody's family. (laughs) That plate got passed right over my head (laughs) to the next person. That juice got passed right over my head to the next person. But one day, a friend invited me to go to the Methodist church. And it was communion Sunday. And I'm sitting back there thinking, well, I picked the wrong time to come to this church on this day. Because they're not going to let me do that. I can't do that. And so I saw it before the service started. And so I told my friend's parents that I, I couldn't do it. And she said, yes, you can. And she said, at this table, the Lord's table, it don't matter how smart you are. It don't matter how much you know about God, about salvation. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you've reached the age of accountability. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. At the Lord's table, there are no reserved spots. There's no VIP area where certain people get to go, but other people never get to see. I was flying first class one time or on first class standby. And at the last minute, they took the last seat. So I got bumped to the first row of coach. I felt like Moses. I could see into the promised land. <laughs> I just couldn't go there. That's not the way the Lord's table works. Because the Lord is about this indiscriminate love. Doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, or what you've done. God doesn't show favorites. And having... Realize that we are so unworthy to gather at this table and yet God made a way for us to come nevertheless? As we get up and leave this table, should we not try to go and love other people with that same kind of indiscriminate love? What would the world look like if we did? Let us pray.